Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. Official show of uthdynasty.com. Chad Parsons here. got Katie Flower. And we're going to be discussing uh, some interesting topics about some of our own uh, MVPs at the skill positions. We're going to give a little preview here where we're still getting declarations. Obviously, we're going to get that over the next uh, three, four, five weeks here heading into draft season. And so I always think of wedding crashers where it's wedding season, baby. You know, and we're getting close. Uh, we've been pushing through, but we still got three important weeks to go in the fantasy playoffs, just beginning for most leagues starting this week. But uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, we've got a lively discussion coming. And uh, Katie, uh, this is really fun to go through. And we do a, a UTH award show. We'll have that with uh, the four four mainstays with uh, Tim Torch and Jordan McMara adding to us. We'll try to find a, a good time around the holidays, of course, to record that massive show to close out the fantasy season, where we'll talk officially you know, about who we think are the uh, all the different awards at the skill positions. But this is about our own teams. Uh, so Katie... Uh, what was sort of your process uh, as the last 24 hours or so we knew we were going to talk about this, looking back at the regular season for our teams in these positions? So what I did was I love my Excel spreadsheets and I listed all the all the leagues that weren't best ball because I don't really think you can crown an MVP from a best ball league. You're not having to set a lineup. It's a team game, so, true team game in best ball. Right. So I just left that alone. But for the ones where I had to set lineups, I built a spreadsheet with my win win loss record, my total points, my playoff spot, and then who was my top scorer at quarterback, wide receiver, running back and tight end. And then what is the format, whether it's super flex or tight end premium or, or what have you. And I didn't get all the way through because I'm in the middle of trying to work and traveling and everything else, but I got enough of a pattern to be able to see that some of my hunches before I even did the exercise were pretty much spot on the players that I thought were going to be repeat on a lot of my first place, second place teams. They really were. Uh, How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought about what were the players that I kind of needed this year at each position. It could be I'm really thin at the depth chart. It could be that I was acquiring them via trade, or maybe injuries got it down to where you're my last man standing. I really need you. So I kind of looked at, you know, and this is sort of like the NFL conversation of most valuable player, right? I mean, most valuable can be it could all it could be on the best team, certainly, but it could also be life without this player on your teams across the board would look like X and what would they look at look like now with them? So I, I looked at that prism of value, which is this could be, you know, and, and I'll start out with the quarterback position just because the definition here for me is a, a, a player that 
turned playoff teams into buy teams, or without them, it might have been playoff versus non-playoff, or I'm playing this week versus off, or I didn't win the total points title. Those types of differentiations of, it doesn't mean your good team is going to be bad, but it means maybe you're not quite as dominant. And at quarterback, that player that I put a poker chip on and, and had high expectations NFL-wise, NFL-wise this year was Matthew Stafford. And more for Superflex and premium formats was I had plenty of leagues where I took a shot and made a trade for Deshaun Watson, for example. And I knew that I needed to have security at quarterback otherwise, because obviously Watson might be great next year, but likely a zero this year, kind of going into it from the offseason. And so for Stafford, being a mid-quarterback one, and I was watching a huge litmus test just last night in that game against Arizona. And Matthew Stafford came up big. He came up big, and that's the exact game I'm sure the Rams point to and say, that's a game where we just don't have the highest of confidence in Jared Goff to get it done and truly go head-to-head with good teams, good quarterbacks, and make the big throws. And Stafford made big throws. And and frankly, again, I know it's not that granular for, for our dynasty teams, but in these premium formats, I had Stafford locked and loaded on a bunch of these super flex teams of saying, I need him not to just post, not to just be a little better than he was with the Rams, but be a rock solid QB one. And he has been that. I thought the arm talent was there. I thought it could be really great with Sean McVay. And frankly, it has been, you know, he has, he's arguably, in my opinion, having the second best or maybe even the best season of his career. Uh, in terms of a lot of the touchdown rate, interception rate, all that type of stuff. And you were not paying an elite price 12 months ago to get Stafford the talent and the the situation ended up changing. So I'm pretty thankful. And to me, he was pretty valuable in the spots I had him because I really needed him. And if you have two, three quarterbacks and one didn't perform that well, maybe it was Baker Mayfield, maybe you have Watson, you need your other guys to perform big. And guys like Brady, guys like Matthew Stafford really came through and put up the seasons I needed to have from them. Yeah, uh, good call. And he was on my short list as well. But the one guy, whether it was a super flex or start one in start one leagues, I'm fine with only carrying one quarterback. And if I have to, for the bye week, I'll pick up somebody off waivers. There's either somebody that's going to be filling in like Davis Mills or uh, Tyrod Taylor or somebody you can pick up that nobody has on their roster. You get them for free. Um, And the only way that you can do that is if you have a reliable guy. And he was also a very good value in dynasty leagues, whether it's super flex or start one, you could get him for a prayer, even right up until your trade deadline. And I'm going to go with Tom Brady. He, he was the difference maker and put me into either first or second place, getting me that bye week like no other quarterback out there. And as far as trading for him, he was pretty easy to procure because nobody thinks he's going to last much longer, but they have been saying that for years and years. He has had nine games of over 30 points. That's a difference maker. And in, in, a, in a couple of cases, he was over 40 points. And again, that's a differentiator week to week. Yeah, I think the good thing about Brady is, like you said, people write him off because of age, because they fear the Philip Rivers, they feel, fear the Big Ben scenario or Drew Brees, where it's like, eh, you know, they just start eroding quickly and then that's their last season. But with Brady, we haven't seen the erosion. I mean, 
he's making plays as a runner this past week where you're like, that wasn't there 10 years ago. So I think when you start to see the erosion, you maybe think that this is the last year, but 2021 is not looking that way. So to say that he's not likely to play next year and redraft, he was going pretty high, but, but dynasty is a whole different animal. You get all the young guys going ahead of him, and Brady just keeps beating them. You know? So I, I think that's a great one. If you can get elite production for a non-elite price, I mean, that's probably the most standard definition of an MVP or a highly valued player because it's what you paid, what the market is versus what I actually got. Uh, how about you lead us off with the, the running back here? Okay. So at running back again, there was some good years had by a lot of different players, but the one common thread of the guys that got me a bye week, uh, it was between Leonard Fournette and Jonathan Taylor. There were a lot of other good, uh, James Connor had a great year. Josh Jacobs had a great year. Dalvin cook. I mean, there, there are others that are difference makers, but I'm going to say Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, put up over 300 fantasy points for the season. Um, You could always not cringe to start him. Whereas sometimes with with James Conner, it was still like, "Eh, should I start him versus X, Y, Z? But with Jonathan Taylor, he's the MVP because he's an auto start and he has been all year. Yeah. And positives with Jonathan Taylor, A, he had a late buy and still no games missed. 13 straight, like you said, lock and load, high start rate. No one really had questions there. And what I love is you get the bye week. So this week, in theory, he should be fresher than he has been the previous month. He went into the bye week without something lingering. And now I know maybe the matchups aren't the greatest, but we're talking about the number one running back. And now you get him coming off a bye for hopefully a glorious three-week finish to what has been a massive career altering season. You know, I mean, you start finishing at 22 years old as the number one running back, you're going to become untouchable. And, and yeah, Jonathan Taylor was my guy too. And I go back all the way to rookie draft time. There was not a consensus on everyone taking Jonathan Taylor over uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And when you look at this season alone, look at the difference in the magnification of that decision. We actually talked about going back and, you know, redrafting or rediscussing these draft classes and just talk about that, the decision at 101. It wasn't a decision in this room, but plenty of people took Edward Solaire. And even in Superflex, you think about t- sometimes Jonathan Taylor fading to the mid-ish first because people are going towards quarterbacks uh, j- because of the format. And so to get running back one overall and this type of impact in year two, what that means as a dynasty asset this year, but just over the scope of now leading into his prime window for the next two, three, four seasons is a massive difference maker. And right now you think of the landscape of running back going into the playoffs, no Derrick Henry, no Christian McCaffrey, TBD on if Sequan Barkley is going to you know, end up making a, a bigger impact than he's had so far this season with any regularity. So there's not a, t- and Austin Eckler's a little dinged up going into this week. So you're talking about a position where you say, if I have Jonathan Taylor, who fears me? Who can actually pace me? in terms of going into a matchup in the playoffs even? not The answer is basically no one. No one. I mean, Dalvin Cook, is he going to get right? So, I mean, there are not many names that you're like, oh, yeah, that's sort of even. My running back versus their running back one. So this could be a massive, you're starting two guys versus even another playoff team one, uh, one guy. Um, wide receiver. I'm going to say just because there's two or three teams where I was good at running back, 
Um, it was a team that I've had maybe for one year or so in terms of rebuilding an orphan environment. But Jamar Chase, for blending together some running back rookie picks over the 21 class and the 2020 class, but I took Jamar Chase in a couple spots that he has absolutely been a weekly starter right away and someone a la Justin Jefferson a year ago where you say, you don't normally get that. You get flashes as a rookie. Maybe you get pockets where you start them, but you really hope for year two, year three, for things to turn into a, a weekly proposition. But 13 games, he's had five 20-point games, 11 with 10 plus. This has been a no-brainer decision. And in spots where I'm running back heavy, he has absolutely been a plug-and-play guy where maybe I had one other wide receiver I was confident in, and that makes your whole lineup decision tree easier. You can maybe stream a guy. Maybe you get fortunate with your wide receiver three, four scenarios, but it's difficult to find a cornerstone wide receiver. And Jamar Chase in that 101, 102, 103 discussion this year in one quarterback He's already on a high-level track year one, and he's been integral to the teams in which I have him. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. Uh, I had a tough decision to make between three guys, so I'm going to give shout-outs to Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams. They both were difference makers, and I've got them on many of my playoff teams. But the one guy that has just Mr. Consistency, Mr. Kleenex hands, we called him at the Senior Bowl, Cooper Cup. And him and, and Matthew Stafford, the way that they've gelled this year, he, Cooper Cup has not put up anything other than double digits in fantasy points every week. And it's uncheckable. Cases, He's uncheckable. Exactly. And in in many cases, those double digits were, you know, with a curvy number in front, a two or a three. And that's awesome. That is a difference maker. So he's my MVP. Katie, did you see the throw Stafford to Cup for, again, I think a lot of people just gloss over this, but Monday nights, like into Tuesday, I'm not watching 15 games or whatever, so I can really enjoy the Monday night game. And there's this throw, it's like a, a speed out at the goal line. It was for a touchdown to Cooper Cup, but the DB played it perfectly. You could not play this break any, any better. And Stafford says, I'm just going to beat you. And obviously, Cooper Cup is on the receiving end. He makes the catch. But we're talking a difference of six inches inside. The defensive back gets his arm or hand on it, and it's a breakup. But it's got to be right there where Cooper Cup is going to be. That chemistry, you give Cup and Stafford their connecting partner in this relationship, it's unbeatable. That one play, though, exemplifies all the timing, the practice, the reps, but also the talent of the two players to be able to beat all whatever you throw at them. Oh, well, I'm going to shade you to the outside at the goal line. I know that's probably what's coming. And and you still beat it. You know, that that's the type of that one play and it's like I know he caught 13 balls or something like that. But that one play it's like you don't realize the acumen of those two players involved that it's undefensible. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable that one play. Yeah, and I remember at the senior bowl, he he stood out to both of us and also to Jordan, but we were all wondering what his role would be in the, in the NFL, like whatever he he wants it to be. (laughs) That's that's what he found out. It's anything. He put up crazy numbers in college at a small school. So there was that question mark, but, but we didn't think he was going to be athletic and we got to the senior bowl and it's like, I don't know what his 40 time in is, but it doesn't matter. He had game speed. Like he got behind every single defensive back regularly. And it's like, 
you know, we just like, oh, some small school white guy that runs what? Is he going to run four fives, four sixes? The point is, it doesn't matter if you set guys up and you can run a route. You can be quote unquote slower in in, in your in your knickers and running, you know, running a forty time uh, with no one around. But it was like Jerry Rice, right? I mean, he ran as fast as he needed to. Was the point? Yeah, he's definitely Kleenex uh, scans and one of the best route runners in the NFL. And paired paired with Matthew Stafford has just been a, a real nice. I will say this: good. I, I was kind of concerned about the Rams. How would it look with Robert Woods out? And I think they've actually pared down some of the Cooper Cup routes into the mold of what Robert Woods previously did. And what they've done is adapt. They've got Odell Beckham running more deep routes. They've got Van Jefferson running deeper routes. So I think it works really well. And I think that just shows the adaptability of the offense because Robert Woods has a very specified possession-centric role. And now we're seeing Cooper Cup do a little more of that where the other receivers, more of the deep game work. So just, again, that's an in-season adjustment that might go unnoticed as well. All right, finish this out with tight ends here. Okay, so again, very close. Uh, and, and both of these guys, like I've had Mark Andrews on my fantasy teams, my dynasty teams Heavy. for years, and he's just getting better and better. But Gronkowski was a close second. He, he's been a big value. A lot of people, when he retired, they dropped him. Or you could trade for him for very, very inexpensive. So I'm going with Mark Andrews, but Gronk is a very close second. And both of them were difference makers. The only other one as far as scoring more points, but he wasn't as durable, was George Kittle. And he... He wasn't on the field for half of your game. So you can't say that he was the reason that you got to the playoffs. Whereas you can, you can for sure say that with, uh, with Mark Andrews. Yeah. Kittle might've won you obviously this past week. He's had a really good run of recent weeks, but like you said, I mean, you had to have other plans for a chunk of the season, not having confidence. You had the Trey Lance experiment, and there's been a lot of different iterations of how we felt about the 49ers and their passing game throughout, throughout the season. So yeah, Kittle was more, uh, you know, he has, he's had lightning rod moments. Um, I'm going to go a, a different direction than any, uh, just because I made a number of win now moves between 2020 and 2021, where I could basically buy and sure up a position at tight end that I didn't feel great about. Like that was my weak spot. And in those spots, just like Jamar Chase, just like uh, Matthew Stafford, I was thinking about the key spots where, you know what? I do have buys. You know what? I am where I want to be. And I know this season and the past four to six weeks have not gone maybe as historically monstrous as we're used to seeing them. But you know what? All it takes is a couple big games here in the playoffs. And if he got to a bye week, he was still steady Eddie. Uh, for me, that's Travis Kelsey. And I know week 13, 14, he's had his two of his worst games of the season. It's a down year by a lot of our, our own measures on how great Travis Kelsey is. Uh, with his own standard. Uh, but you know what? He was la- uh, but lapping the most of the field uh, until the week 13 zone. And you know, I added him to strong contenders. And and all you want if you add, you know, a Brady to a Superflex or a Kelsey to um, any sort of format, um, if you're adding an older super bridge type player, you say, you know, get me there. And now let's have someone that can be a difference maker. And we don't know about Darren Waller. Is Kelsey, sorry, is Kittle going to be as impactful, you know, down the stretch? We will see. He's been a little up and down, but I know Kelsey attached to Mahomes 
any of these games, he goes for 150 and two touchdowns. You would not be surprised at all. He can wake out of that funk any any drive. So um, we'll see how this finishes. Obviously, if he has a couple single digit games and you know that continues the string, there's going to be a lot of dialogue about a Kelsey age decline and all this type of stuff and people moving him down in rankings. But you know what? A big finish. And no one's going to think about anything of the November into early December, early kind of swoon that we've had. So I just know where I've acquired them in the last 12 to 16 months. I haven't thought twice about it being a bad purchase because you're supposed to add impact players at positions that matter. And frankly, you mentioned Andrews and Gronk, who is another good addition uh, for his cost. And, you know, those are the types of guys at a position where you say, I need to have an advantage and there's not many at tight end that can offer an advantage, especially in a one-off head-to-head scenario. Even if he put up a five last week, I know you don't want to be going up against uh, Kelsey in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, there's so few that are difference makers when you've got guys like Waller and Kittle that are out part of the year because of injury, then that makes the value even higher, the premium even higher on the guys that are the, the guys putting up the numbers week to week. Right. Because tight end, frankly, you go into a week and a lot of guys, you're not surprised if they put up a three, four, five. Um, and, and that's just the nature of the position where even 15 can, can be a real difference making number, but there are three, four, five guys that you shouldn't be surprised any week. They put up a 15 or even a 20. All right. Uh, this will be fun. Uh, so this is our first, we haven't done a mock draft, I think since the off season, uh, maybe it was July or August or something. We did one of those for, uh, for premium subscribers, but we're going to do a little, just a quick preview of kind of where we stand. Obviously we don't have full declarations, but we're going to do a word association game or maybe a short phrase with each of the skill positions for the 2022 NFL draft class on where we stand today. So what's the word or short phrase you think of when I mentioned 2022 quarterback class? Limburger cheese. Stinky. <laughs> Limburger. I've never had Limburger cheese. Have you... You didn't make it I, for us in uh, Mobile or anything, right? I no, didn't have it by accident. Okay. I, I just started making cheese. I don't know if you know that or you not. You make but cheese. I, just, I oh, do. This I, is a I whole separate a, podcast. I can't wait. <laughs> I got a cheese making kit. I've already made mozzarella a and kit? I just I just made a batch of feta, two, two and a half pounds of feta. When I get home, I'm going to make some pepper jack. That'll be my next, my first firm cheese. But anyway, the reason Limburger, it's it's stinky. Um and no, I haven't tried it and I don't. So, really so acquired, so you've never had it. It's acquired taste. Would that be I, factually correct? I, I guess I, I <laughs> haven't even had the hankering to try it. What, what's the stinkiest cheese you actually like? Do you like blue cheese? I love blue cheese. Okay. Well that, I mean, to some people that's stinky. I looked at it when I was a kid and I saw these chunks in it and I was like, right. that can't be good. That looks like rotten food. That's not, <laughs> but now I love it. Um, what about, uh, what's stinkier than, uh, than blue cheese or gorgonzola and stuff like that? I, I don't know the rating scale. But Limburger's pretty high. I just know that Limburger is like it smells like an old sock. It's stinkiness. It's like the okay. king of stinky cheese. Okay. Did um, you want to expound on the quarterback class being Limburger or just leave well, it there? Sure. So, you know, at first, w- before the season started, we had shoe-ins, guys that were a lock for the Heisman, like Spencer Radler, who lost his job mid-season, and Sam Howell didn't have the greatest 
upswing from his uh, season before. And you got guys that are now being talked about, like Malik Willis as possibly the number one quarterback off the board. Matt Corral is a good quarterback, but they're talking about possibly having the first quarterback off the board around the 12th pick or, or somewhere in there in mock drafts. And if the first one comes off the board at 12 overall or in that mid, you know, early. Well, they'll get pushed section, out, but yeah. Then that means that you're just not going to get the depth that we've had in the last couple of years. And I, I just think that in Superflex, if you're hurting at the position, this is not the best year. It's not the year. Well, it's not the year to jump at it for sure. Um, the word I put was rudderless. Um, just because I said, who's driving this ship? Like yeah. the previous years, it might have changed from the preseason to where we got to December, January, but we've always had a guy, right? I mean, you look back, we had Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's, he was anointed since a freshman that came all the way through. We had Joe Burrow having a magical year and there wasn't a whole lot of question that he was overtaking Tua and, you know, the viable options when we got to closing that season, Kyler Murray, we just didn't know if he was going to play football. That was part of it. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. I mean, we, so we've had a few classes in a row where we've had at least names where you're like, oh yeah, they're going really high. And we kind of know the lay of the land. So I I put rudderless just because who's the QB1? The fact that we are mid-December and don't have an answer to that question is not a great sign. I know a lot of people are anointing Kenny Pickett as a momentum guy during the year, but I'm not... I'm not the biggest. I'm going to watch more Cody Pick, uh, Kenny Pickett, excuse me. But on paper, there's not as much to like about him on the grand scheme of his work. I just so so rudderless is the the phrase that pays for me. All right, the 2022 running back class. What comes to mind, Katie? Middle of the road, middle of the road. I think that there's going to be a couple of guys at the top that are very decent, like Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. But then outside of that, I think you're going to get kind of similar to this year there will be some guys that that pop later but trying to predict that in rookie drafts you you may end up pushing guys up your draft board unnecessary or uh just because we had a running back drought last year i think there's another running back drought this year and people will push the guys up the board more than they should yeah, you're you're talking the same language. I I, I wrote competitive, which means pretty much at Q, starting at running back three. I think it's open. You know, I think we're going to see maybe some some a, a day two guy or, or two that we're not expecting right now. Could it be based on the workout? Could it be based? You know, you just start hearing the drumbeat in NFL draft circles about players that we may nece- not necessarily dynasty wise or talent wise like, uh, or maybe they get pushed up based on situation. But I think it's competitive. Uh, and that might be appealing for some of these running backs on deciding, do I declare or not in terms of, of the 22 class versus the 23 class? So I think, it, I think it can absolutely be competitive. I do have my favorites at the top, but I think to say that, you know, if you put your top eight and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure that six of these eight are going to be, you know, the top eight off the NFL draft board, that is a tall order at this, uh, this span of time. All right. Uh, 2022 wide receivers. They're like a well. Okay. I think, yeah, I think that there's some good top end talent, Traylon Burks, David Bell, uh, and then there's going to be some other guys that could test very well at the combine. And depending on what the NFL is looking for, there's a lot of teams that need receivers. And since it's such a down year for running backs and quarterbacks, 
as skill positions go, I think the wide receiver class this year is better than any of the other three skill positions. And therefore, because they're deep also, there's a, you know, pick your poison. Do you want a big, tall dude that is physical? You want a shifty little route runner? There, there's a lot of depth to be had in this year's wide receiver class. Okay. I wrote uncertain. Um, and mainly we have a lot of storylines, right? I mean, I know Traylon Burks has a lot of love. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have the bulletproof profile you would like. If you were, you know, build the profile, uh, build a prospect at wide receiver, he checks plenty of boxes, but he certainly doesn't check all of them. Like he's not really a, on paper, a Jamar Chase type where we don't have questions. We have John Mechie, you know, with a with a late injury, we've got question marks about uh, Justin Ross, for example, right? I mean, how is the NFL going to view his situation? We've got Jamison Williams getting a lot of buzz out of Alabama, but really, just one one season, right? I mean, so it's not like he came through that Alabama pipeline. Uh, we've also got Drake London going through an injury. Uh, to, so there's a lot of guys that are they going to work out? What's their status? Is that going to affect them declaring for the draft? I haven't seen a ton of love. Like I like on paper, David Bell, but I haven't seen a lot of mock drafts. It's insanely early, but with him in consideration for even round one. So I do think there's plenty of storylines and question marks on who's going to declare, but also some of the profiles of these players athletically on, we may not get them to test. They may do the 40 and nothing else. It may be delayed to a pro day. I think there's plenty of storylines and question marks abound even amongst a lot of the top names here, which makes it for a very, very fun uh, four or five month draft process at the wide rec- at the wide receiver position. All right, uh, tight ends, close us out here, Katie. Baron, as in B-A-R-R-E-N, not B-A-R-O-N. Um, it, it's, there isn't any real huge standouts for this class. There's some decent talent, but I, I, a lot is going to be learned over the next few months, the bowl games, the senior bowl, the testing at the combine, but I'm not all that super thrilled about any of these guys, to be honest. Uh, I'm pretty impressed with, with my word association here. Cause I wrote pitsless because, <laughs> because let's face it. Last year was a whole lot of fun. Why we have Kyle Pitts in the class that makes any class fun. And that doesn't mean to demean Pat Fryermuth or Hunter Long, or any of the guys you know that ended up going after him. But if you infuse Kyle Pitts into this class, it's pretty fun. And the fact that you don't have one, and we don't have like you know a gaudy. I don't think we're going to have a gaudy, at least in terms of a round one possibility of like a freak of nature testing athlete. Boy, look at him and how he moves. I don't think we have that. I think we have a bunch of decent guys, and I I kind of feel bad for Jalen Weidermeyer because it seems like in Devi. He was the guy kind of getting pushed up as the tight end one. And I just think he's pretty good. Now, is that worthy of being a first rounder? Eh, Like who knows, but I just know he's not really on that level. And and frankly, on the level of, you know, we saw OJ Howard and Evan Ingram and uh, David Njoku and all these types of guys. Like, I just think he's below. He's a high floor guy, not necessarily a high ceiling guy. And, And I just think, you know, in the Debbie landscape, you got guys in 23, 24, maybe even 25, that are going to have more juice than any of these in 2022. So I think it could be one that's viable for obviously some depth options, finding value within a two tight end format, but stepping up in a one tight end and saying, let me go get that guy in the first round is probably not in the cards this year. And so good, 
and, and check the box, but it's more from a depth and floor perspective than it is getting super exciting, like a Kyle Pitts and some of these other prospects we've had from a ceiling perspective. Um, all right, Katie, we're starting the playoffs. And uh, what words of wisdom, what, what Katie uh, impact can you have on folks? Because here we are. Um, I know I, I saw you, uh, you know, talking about the setup for some of your playoff formats in, in some of your leagues. Uh, if you have commission duties, obviously these 24 hours between Monday night football finishing and Tuesday into Wednesday, you got to set your brackets. You got to make sure everyone knows what's going on in your league with the postseason, whatever that encompasses. But for teams, for commissioners, whatever advice you have for folks, because this next game is could be your last, and that's what makes it fun. Uh, with your dynasty portfolio, but also means the end is near. My best advice for anybody is when you're going to have a lot less lineups to set, either because you've got a first round buy or you didn't make the playoffs. So you don't have, like in my case, I'm in 40, 50 different leagues. Some of them are best ball. So I don't have to set lineups in all of them. But in the ones that I've got to set, MFL can be a little bit funky sometimes. And you think that you hit submit where you may have hit the back button or you may have hit move on to the next league or timed out or something or, or right. Or you didn't hit enough players. It'll tell you if you're over, it doesn't necessarily tell you if you're under. So always double check your count. Do you have the right number of players? And then once you click submit, double check that you don't have a suspended or somebody that's out or somebody that's on IR that you accidentally clicked or that that had been clicked because they were there from the week before, just double check that you don't have that and that you do have an acknowledgement that it's submitted. The can worst I, can thing. I, can I tell you one thing in this regard? Yes. I had a situation. Oh, so the one thing I do in terms of setting lineups, first of all, set all the mandatory stuff and then, and then do your, okay, now I have two spots that are a flex or one spot that's a flex. That's an easier way to keep count. I know some of these leagues are like, you know, one at every position and five flexes and stuff like that. But start the mandatory stuff and then just count through your flexes as you click on them by, you know, who's an easier decision. And maybe you got one or two where you're deciding between guys. But that I think it makes it easier in terms of making sure it's valid. Here's the other thing I actually had a league and it didn't cost me the matchup or anything like that. But um, I had a situation where I said I, I've, I've said before my 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 most accurate setting of lineups I set them on Saturday night or whatever, and then so Sunday is more of a double check. One league I didn't double check. I had a an IDP guy that ended up being an, a late scratch or something, and so I got a zero. And you know what? Just going through and taking the ten seconds per league and looking at every single lineup, even if you're not planning to change anything. Just to make sure, especially with IDP or these formats, you maybe aren't don't play all the time. Like you have a general working knowledge of the skill positions and all that, but maybe there was a kicker, you know, that all of a sudden was questionable and they got put out. I generally don't take chances with kickers with questionable status and all that kind of stuff. But just make sure, especially with IDP and those, you go back and if it's an hour before kickoff, triple double check because now in the playoffs. I mean, even if it's a 4.30 kick, an 8 o'clock kick, whatever it is, make sure because any pivot's better than a zero. Any pivot you can possibly make because this might be your last game and you might lose by that differential. Continue. Sorry. No, that's okay. So there's nothing worse than thinking that you set a lineup and then have it not go through and then you end up 
after the full season of all the work that you've done and you get a zero for your entire first round of the playoffs and you're out that that's bad I even set a lineup even if I have a first round bye, just out of paranoia just to make sure and also I want to see how many points I would have had if I were in the first round to see if I would have been eliminated because I think that's kind of cool uh and then the second thing uh if you're in a best ball league make sure you read the bylaws do the playoffs change Do you have to set a lineup in the playoffs? I'm in some best ball leagues where during the season it's best ball and playoffs you have to set the lineup. Don't wait for the commission to remind you. Make sure to double check yourself. Yeah, and in best ball, I mean, you should have been doing this all year, but especially if it's the deeper roster variety, you want chances. So a guy that is maybe a fringe roster player for you, and yeah, maybe you like him a little bit more in the, oh, let me take him all the way into the offseason but you want every chance for points possible in the playoffs because a rogue touchdown game with 50 yards from a tight end might be the difference in a flex spot because you don't know who's going to get hurt. Yeah, it's a team game and you don't have to technically start anybody, but you want every single roster spot. I mean, this is all hands on deck. So that's why if you know a backup quarterback that you've been stashing isn't going to play, you know, I mean, yes, technically the starter could go out, but if you got a decent player at another position you can pick up, give you one more wide receiver shot at a 15, 20 point game, really think long and hard about every single roster spot in those best ball leagues. Because again, it's about big performances. And if you have four, five, six guys on your roster where you're like, well, I'm stashing this guy, this guy I've just had for three, four weeks, or like really think about it. I'm not telling you to eliminate all those stash players, but really think about how to optimize your roster because one, two more, you know, dart throws at guys that maybe see decent snap shares at wide receiver or tight end. It can really, you know, that guy popping into your lineup can be the difference. So that's sort of in line with do the everything you possibly can do. And these are the weeks, right? Incessantly check your lineup. Like you just said, submit it on Thursday. We've got Saturday games for the first time. So that probably means you need to check it on Thursday. And then like you said, go into maybe live scoring or go in, make sure all those boxes are checked. Make sure you, how does it look? Does it look legal? You're double checking that everything you put in is actually what you put in. And then you need to do the same thing on Saturday. We're going to be checking statuses on players. Even if we checked it two days ago, we know Friday into Saturday is a big time. And then Sunday, you're going to do it again. And frankly, I don't usually check the 4 PM Sunday night stuff, but these three weeks, the, the teams you have, you, you should be checking it, even if you don't normally, because again, the zeros, the out, the, the late scratches, all that type of stuff, uh, it needs to be magnified. So like you said, you don't want to have three, four, and frankly, it's the whole, the whole year, but all that work come down to if you got four or five teams playing and one of them gets eliminated for one of these stupid reasons, that just is not going to feel good. It's the opposite of what you just said, which is, you know, the teams that you don't that have a buy, it is kind of fun when you look and you're like, ah, I would have been eliminated. Thank God I have a buy. And then you end up scoring really well next week. That's a like an added little uh little shot in the arm where you're like, yes, you know, like that's why you have the buy. That's like a Doug Beach phrase. It's like, that's why you would do, you know, the things that you do. It's so that you have a buy and that you, you know, th- that's the benefit. It's that you're not in one of these 60, 40, 55, 45 head-to-head scenarios. I cannot be eliminated this week. That's a good, a good feeling to have because some of them would have lost. That's just how it goes. And I do have one more point that I thought of while you were talking. It doesn't matter if it's best ball, but 
especially in best ball, check your taxi squad. Even if you are eliminated from the playoffs, if there is a chance to win an extra pick and you've got guys that you've had stashed on your taxi squad and they've been performing very well, elevate them. You're probably going to have to elevate them after the season or after the rookie draft anyway. Get rid of your dead weight. Elevate the guys that are on your taxi squad that could help you win that extra pick. Or if you are in the main top whatever to be in in your playoffs, sometimes you can overlook those in a best ball league that, oh, this player has been stashed. I had Jalen Waddle on one of my best ball leagues, forgot that I had him on my taxi squad and he was doing lights out. And when I had a player get injured, I just finally swapped him in. I did make the playoffs, but I could have cost myself because I wasn't checking my best ball very often. Yep. That's a great point. Um, yeah. And, and play through your, your toilet bowl, please. I mean, I know a lot of people just like shoulder shrug, like it's not a big deal. And even the ones that aren't, you win one thirteen, which to me is a little rich. I mean, come on, you're a non-playoff team to me. Uh, one thirteen, uh, is like, it's more appropriate to be between the second and third round in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe it's, if it's like, you know, a, a small fraction of like, uh, you, you get half of your entry fee back is like the prize or whatever you do. Uh, again, I, I do think it's, it's fun to have the second half of the league playing for something. Um, but play for it. Don't just assume you're going to lose, you know, that like you still have things that you can play for and it's not what you want, but, um, that's what I would say. And just be competitive. Now, once the competitive portion of your season is over, if that's losing this week, if that's, you were eliminated, Please optimize through the waiver wire. Spend your waiver wire dollars on who you think matters. Uh, drop your kicker. Drop your defense as applicable. And think about the offseason. Think about free agency. Think about players that can pop a little bit because these are the players on the last spots of your roster that you might have to decide by March or April or NFL, or NFL draft time on keeping them. You're probably not going to keep them you know, in betting probability. So take a shot on someone that can do something between now and and then to to make you keep them or make them flippable, but optimize those spots and kicker. Uh, you know, having in ninety nine percent of cases, having a defense is not going to be the way to do that either. So think about that, and that's almost a, a solace of of you're eliminated, but you still have one nice waiver week where you have some freed up roster spots. So uh, yeah, so make sure you do that uh, to close. That really closes the book on your roster moves for the season as well. And we didn't mention this combined, Katie, but you know what? When you get eliminated, there might be moves to make because you have no trading deadline. So that's another thing. I know it's not common in every league or most leagues, but make sure you know when that trading deadline was uh, because some that don't have it, you can still make moves and potentially sell short-term players with good matchups or whatever, potentially, and get something that benefits both teams in the, the closing weeks of the playoffs as well. All right, we got an update here for the UTH Best Ball Contest. And uh, one of the super fans, we got Sid Larson. I've met him in person. I've done some VIP calls with him. And uh, Sid took down the contest in week 14. Pretty tight race. Uh, put up 260. He got guys we've talked about. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Talk about uh, super flex guys or just quarterbacks that have been left for dead at various points in the last 24, 36 months. Well, Sid's taken them all <laughs> in the best ball contest here. He's got AJ Dillon. Didn't quite put up the massive week he put up uh, previous ones. He's got uh, Dillon and Aaron Jones, Fournette. Probably going to be common to top five, top 10 finishers in the best ball contest. Fournette's been a massive boost this year, as Katie mentioned earlier on the show. Ezekiel Elliott got a streaming start out of Sonny Michelle. 
uh, wide receiver, bit of a, of a rough ride. And, and Sid actually went with a shallow roster, uh, which again, we've seen two or three of these teams take down weekly high scoring uh, titles uh, during this week. Um, doesn't have a lot. It had every single running back of he had five running backs and they were all in his lineup this week in the point per carry format. He's got Mark Andrews and he's even got some streaming starts out of Albert O uh, there in Denver, even in the number two role. So congratulations, Sid, for taking it down in week 14. Hopefully, uh, hopefully construction season there in Minnesota uh, took uh, was uh, was good for you guys. And now it's into winter, <laughs> just dead, cold, freezing winter. Um, and also, uh, let, let me do, I didn't have it up, but uh, the, the final standings uh, through week 14, we've obviously got three more in the best ball contest. And uh, Sid is not uh, not overly high. So I had to scroll. That's not a good sign, Sid. Uh, so it was a one-off, but congrats. We've got Grant, Keith, and uh, Jacob in the top three spots. And we've got the Fighting Bethcats uh, moving on up. And uh, she is looking to challenge as well. This really, I mean, I know we've had some season Katie runs away with it. But we've got five, six teams here that, I mean, it could go any of their directions still because it's within about 40, 50 points. So really looking forward to seeing how this finishes. And we've got some nice prizes here. Uh, still need to post those, but it's basically the same as we've had in years past. So can't wait to give back to all those UTH super fans for uh, posting. And, and it's just, again, a way to compete against them in a contest that makes sense. I know a lot of people or podcasts have like dynasty leagues formal there's a lot that can happen, you know, in terms of a long-term dynasty league. And so I don't know, it's tough to have a listener league and things like that. Obviously it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, but frankly, I post openings in some of my leagues uh, and UTHers end up taking over the league anyway. So uh, they end up turning into four five, six UTHers in a league anyway, which frankly, it's, uh, you know, parents eating their young and it's not, <laughs> it doesn't end up overly fun anyway. I'll, I'll just tease her with that. Um, you can find Katie between episodes. You got questions about your lineup, uh, some team building scenarios here in the closing weeks of your league. You can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. You can find all of my work over at UTHDynasty.com. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. <laughs> I just had a piece of candy. Who's not all right? Yeah, there you go. Makes all, all the troubles go away for 2.6 seconds. It does sound like it would be like a D3, a D3 basketball team, right? You know, it's like the... Uh, the, the uh, northern northern Iowa fighting Beth cats. Like, doesn't it sound like just something where they they only have three hundred people at their game, but they're really passionate? No, I could care less about other people. I want the comfort for myself. Well, they change your lineup. That would frighten me to lose that control. Get a kid, wait till they're five. There's your assistant, right? Oh I mean, my god, do you, do you trust a five year old? I don't trust myself sometimes, yeah. <laughs>